Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. My name is Colleen Dietz. Join me and my guests each week for an entertaining recap of the hottest topics in Mormonism. We keep tabs on social media and headline news so you don't have to. Don't miss our live pro tips as you adjust to your new and exciting post-Mormon life. Mormon Happy Hour is here to bring you the irreverent side of Mormonism, wherever you may be. Welcome to episode 61. I am really excited to bring to you Maddie Seacott, who is the creator of timeforcambio.org. Now, this episode does require quite a substantial trigger warning, and please refer to the show notes for the exact times of the descriptive content that you might want to avoid if you aren't in a place where you can handle descriptions of sexual assault, attempted rape, and attempted murder. So please keep that in mind. And if you want to skip it, but you still want to hear the great things that Maddie is doing, then I will put the times, the exact times in the show notes for you to skip ahead or skip entirely. Before I get to the actual content of the episode today, I did have a little bit of housekeeping. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I have a confession. Y'all, I broke Mormon happy hour. I broke it. I'm sure you noticed I took a week off last week and a couple wonderful, beautiful listeners reached out to me and just kind of uh, helped me realize that I'm in a bit of a funk. And I think part of the reason why I broke Mormon happy hour is because I tried to make a hobby into a job. And that just doesn't work. So I, uh, when I tried to make Mormon happy hour profitable and um, take the place of a second job, it broke it. So I'm going to take a step back from that focus and just put my faith in you guys that you will continue to sign up for Patreon and support Mormon Happy Hour and help keep this thing going because it, the the truth still exists that we um that I needed to be <laughs> I needed to be profitable, but I'm not going to make that my focus because I just can't. It kills my creativity and then I just can't produce. So I'm gonna scale back and I'm going to reevaluate my goals. So yeah, thank you again for all of your continued support. I really couldn't do this without you. And for you listeners that took the opportunity to reach out and make sure everything was going okay, I love you. So thanks so much. Enjoy this wonderful episode and do your part to support the missionaries that you see because they are real people with real life safety needs. All right. Thanks, guys. Love you. Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. I have a guest with me today that I've been I've been dying to get on Mormon Happy Hour, so I'm so glad she's finally here. So many of you hopefully will remember that I have mentioned the website Time for Combio and the important work that Maddie is doing to support missionaries in the field and to encourage the church to 
enact changes to support the missionaries in the mission field better. And so I'm really excited to bring her on and she has a lot to tell us about kind of her own experience as a missionary and what has led to um, the creation of timeforcombio.org. And I'm just thrilled. I'm thrilled to have her on because she's one of those people that I she's she's a shiro to me she's a, a she's a wonderful <laughs> a wonderful example of someone who is brave and tenacious and just doesn't quit in in the face of her own personal trauma it's i i mean i've been an advocate um you know that's rooted in my own personal trauma at BYU and and I know how hard it is to stay in that space and keep working and she does and I admire the work that she does and I know how hard it is so I am thrilled to bring her her voice to you my listeners because I want what she's doing to reach the people that it needs to reach to make the difference that that it needs to make because it's this is this is very vitally needed work so without further ado <laughs> maddie would you like to introduce yourself and what you'd like our listeners to know about you yeah and thank you that's super generous i live in provo right now i'm a current byu student um i'm studying elementary education and absolutely love it um i'm a survivor of sexual assault and I have made time for Cambio. I'm really excited to tell you guys about it. Yay. And um, so what is your, so your current BYU student, so what's your current relationship with the church? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> I currently don't go to church, and it, it, my bishop still gives me an ecclesiastical endorsement because a huge part of why I don't go to church is because of PTSD and trauma and like uh, after my mission I went to church for like the next like two years and literally had breakdowns every Sunday just like anxiety attacks and panic attacks and cognitive dissonance and mm -hmm. you know so church was super miserable and I finally stopped going and my mental health has never been better um and beyond that you know I'm a BYU student so my what I can say is a little bit censored, hmm. but yeah, I'm, I'm not active and I don't, I don't plan on ever being active again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I mean, read between the lines, but. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that, that in and of itself is really brave for you to say because that, that in and of itself is kind of, that's scary as a BYU student to admit those things. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for the, I guess the, it's, it's kind of a risk, the risk you're taking because you feel so strongly and passionately about the, what you're doing. So thank you for being willing to come on and share more with us about that. And maybe in a few years when you have graduated and you feel a little bit more able to speak your truth, then, you know, we can revisit it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right. So, um, Maddie, you have, through your journey, your journey kind of starts, like, where would, where would you like to begin in kind of telling us about where the creation for Time, Time for Combio came about? Yeah. So, I guess it really starts on my mission. Mm -hmm. um, my mission had a big culture of just don't complain. <laughs> Get the work done. Don't complain. Um, 
my trainer would always say like don't be a burden to your mission president just like don't be a burden don't tell him if anything's not going perfectly um so there are definitely some like sketchy things that happened on my mission like sketchy housing and um having to look for my own housing and stuff that was just happening on the mission that made me question if this was okay and then (laughs) the actual assault happened so brief, I mean, you could definitely go listen to my Mormon stories podcast with John Dillon if, uh, and I think that you have, but I mean, listeners, mm-hmm. if you want to know like the whole story of my mission and the assault itself, but a brief overview is that, um, we were looking for inactive members in the city called Potosi because there were over a thousand people on like the ward records but like 80 attended. So we were like, why are we wasting our time looking for new people? Let's look for inactive people, you know, and, in, in quote unquote. And where, where were you serving your mission? What, what country? Oh yeah. Um, Bolivia. Okay. So I was in the Bolivia Cochabamba mission, but I was serving in the city of Potosi, which fun fact is the highest city in the world. It was, I mean, there's probably little pueblos higher, but it was at 14,000 feet elevation. I've been and there. You've been there? Yes. I've been there. I've been. So, (laughs) sorry, this is a tangent. So there's a, I was on a bus because we were doing a little, I I started in Peru. I was doing a humanitarian um, mission back in like 2008-ish. So we started in Peru and we were at a, 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 what do you call it? An orphanage for about a week and a half helping to build, like construct it, like tile roof, concrete floor, things like that. But then the last like three days we're like, okay, let's to let's be tourists while we're here. And so like we just went on a, like a just a just ran through all of the basically tourist attractions in Peru and um Bolivia. And so we were on a highway right probably by where Porosi is and there's the sign that says the elevation right on the highway and and it says 14,000 whatever it is and so we all took pictures by the sign so and then we went to Lake Titicaca and went out to the the Reed Islands so I don't know where that is in relation to Potosi but I was I've been right around there so that's cool (laughs) that is cool that makes me so happy because you have context for it Mm -hmm. and I mean it Potosi is a little unforgettable. So, <laughs> so keep well, going. Let's cool. hear your story. And sorry if I'm jumbled because I know that, I mean, like talking about things that are connected to trauma, I like have learned that, yeah, the language part of my brain shuts down a little bit. So if I'm all over the place, I apologize. I'm doing <laughs> the best I can. Absolutely. Um, but so basically this guy approached us on the street. He was like, I thought he was like 30, found out he was like 28 later, but he approached us and was like, sisters, when are you going to visit me? And like, we found out that he was an inactive member of the church that had been baptized. And I literally thought God was answering my prayers to help us find inactive members because that had been our goal. And it was just a perfect storm. He lived around the corner and we had found out that like a couple inactive families lived in that house together and we were super stoked to get in because we felt like God was answering our prayers. I mean, we were super naive and um, all the lights were on. There were a couple of people inside, um, teenage cousins we found out later, but basically when we went in, 
there wasn't anyone there that we could see and he was acting super weird. I'm pretty sure he wanted to drug us because he was super adamant that we drink mate with him. And we were like, yeah, we're not going to drink this. We need to go. And that's when he, I think, resorted to his backup plan, which was to run to the kitchen, turn off the tea, tea kettle, grab knives, ran back downstairs. He came in, like shut the door, uh, deadbolted it. And like, I just remember my stomach dropping because why would someone deadbolt the door? You know, and then he turned around and he had two knives and said, I like, I don't even remember exactly what he said at the beginning. My companion filled me in later. But the first thing I remember him saying was, take off your clothes or I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was between him and my companion. So my companion didn't get undressed, but I started getting undressed because, uh, hello, there's a crazy person with a knife right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, like I took off part of my clothes. He ripped off the other part of my clothes like on top and people think that's crazy and I'm like how like how would he rip off your clothes and I'm like I know but it happened really fast he just Mm -hmm. grabbed a handful up at my waist and ripped off my garment top bra wonder tee shirt sweater all at once um and long story short yeah there was the whole drama of trying to talk him down and calm him down and he wasn't listening and he separated me and my companion. He dragged me across the room with a knife at my side and pushed me in a bed and told my companion that he would kill her if she said anything or made any noise. And basically I was about to get raped in this bed. He had ripped off the bottom half of my clothes too. And then I hear my companion screaming and he left me to go to her and I escaped. And then basically he I think he heard me escaping and screaming and then left her to follow me and basically like she saved me I saved her um she was pretty badly cut he had tried to cut her her wrists and she blocked the knife with her hand um so I mean I survived I guess like attempted rape and he she survived attempted murder and we I made it out first I was completely naked in the streets like screaming for help um she made it out about a minute after me uh which is so good because I literally thought I had left my companion for dead oh man um so that was the the assault itself which is pretty bad um I went home I asked to go home my mission president said I wish you wouldn't but I went home anyways Mm -hmm. and at first I really wasn't even thinking about advocacy I was just recovering because I was a mess <laughs> obviously I was yeah. scared all the time and lived with my parents for a couple months before going back to school and like they literally took care of me like my mom helped me pack for school because I couldn't do it on my own I was completely depressed and had PTSD and was a little bit of a mess for a while mm-hmm. um but what changed so that was in the assault itself was in June of 2016 and um when I got home a woman named Camille was put in contact with me and she was um sexually assaulted she at gunpoint in her mission in Mexico and she was like put in contact with me through her bishop and reached out and as we were sharing our stories with each other we started noticing like similarities between our mission cultures and 
the safety of our missions and how things had been handled. And that's really where the advocacy began was after meeting Camille. So Camille had done some advocacy without me in like fall of 2016. And then we met in person after exchanging some emails in like January of 2017 mm-hmm. and decided to reach out to the missionary department and ask to meet with them, to bring up our ideas with them. So that's really where it started. It was like January of 2017, like two years ago now. Wow. Okay. Um, should I just Go keep going? <laughs> yeah, you're doing fine. Keep going. Okay. So... Um, jumping back a little bit, in September of 2016, Curtin and McConkey reached out to me. Actually, someone, David Wade in the missionary department, reached out to me and asked if it was okay for some lawyers at Curtin McConkey to reach out to me and if I wanted to prosecute my case in Bolivia. Because, oh, wow. uh, like, plot twist, the person who assaulted us actually was an inactive member. He had gotten baptized like 10 years previously I'm sure he was one of those like baseball baptisms or whatever like he should never have been baptized but so he I mean that's why he preyed on us is because he knew who the missionaries were and he knew that they were vulnerable Mm -hmm. um but we knew his name because we knew his inactive family or whatever anyways so they knew who he was so they could prosecute it and it's interesting to me that I had been home for three months before they called and asked if I wanted to prosecute. Like I, up till then, I just thought that would never happen, but they called and asked if I did. And I said, yes. And so a lawyer and paralegal from Curtin McConkie were in touch with me. And the paralegal is who was, um, who I reached out to, to ask if she could get us a way to talk to someone in the missionary department. Mm -hmm. So she was like our in. And yeah, I, I wish I could tell you this paralegal's name because I think she is the only redeemable person at Curtin McConkie. (laughs) But so she set up a meeting for us in March of 2017. So it took like two months to set up this stupid meeting, (laughs) but we, Camille and I both had brought a list of our concerns and Camille had already talked with Brent Nielsen, like, various months before and he basically brushed her off you can listen to that too in the mormon stories podcast i also should mention that our mormon stories podcasts are like i think numbers 966 through 969 if you want to go listen to more background information but basically they brushed her off and were like sorry it can happen anywhere in the world anywhere anytime like tough luck sorry you were the one it happened to what are the odds um but yeah interesting thing one of the things that we asked for two of the things that we asked for in that original meeting were for a mission advocate to be made because like we weren't getting the therapy that we needed and Camille still had sisters in that part of her mission which is super dangerous and there shouldn't be missionaries there um there still are fun fact even though it's extremely dangerous wow um so we asked for a mission advocate to be made And they acted like, oh, maybe that's a good idea. We'll think about it. And I asked for, then we asked for safety surveys to be made so that they could better evaluate, Mm -hmm. uh, like, the safety of various areas. We brought up various more concerns and ideas, but those are the two that 
they actually have acted on. Um, mm -hmm. So that's basically the like, and we met a couple more times with them. That's like this, the story of like where this all began. Okay. Um, goes from there a little bit, but any questions about that or can I keep going? I think, I think this would be a good point to say that, um, were those the only two things that you asked for then was the advocate and the survey? No, I should pull up my original emails and like the list that we brought in. We okay. also were asking scenarios to be pulled from where Camille was assaulted because it was Guerrero, Mexico, mm -hmm. which the government, the government has issued a do not travel, right? Like ban that area and has said, if you go have your will prepared and yet we're sending missionaries, like that's insane. So we are asking for them to pull missionaries from places where the U.S. government has said we should not be traveling. Right. Um, I was asking we were just asking for like better statistics on where things were happening. What's your decision-making process for where you do send missionaries? Basically mm -hmm. we were asking like background information and accountability. Yeah. And we were asking for better training in the MTCs because we were like, there literally was absolutely no discussion of safety ever in the mm -hmm. MTC or in my mission. The extent of it was my mission president saying, wear your bag across your chest because someone got dragged by a car what like i don't even know his base like literally no discussion about about safety happened in the mtc we talked about how to trim your toenails right to oh not get ingrown toenails we talked about like what foods to avoid but there was no discussion of like what to do if you don't feel safe what to do if someone's made threats what to do if you're being stalked what to do if the mish if the members around you are telling you that you should be home earlier like so we're asking for what is your training for this moving forward what are you going to develop because the training that we had was woefully inadequate mm -hmm. so we're asking for that um we also brought up the idea of maybe you could make some videos like how they have videos for the district for like training uh mm -hmm. how to teach we're like what if you had some for safety and david wade literally like scoffed and acted like that was like so silly. And now he's making them. He's literally in charge of making these videos. And I'm like, when I brought up that idea, you acted like I was insane. But they're making them. I don't know if they're making them about sexual assault, but they've told us at least that they're making them about like not riding in the backs of trucks. <laughs> so they're making those videos at least. I mean, it's wow. taken them a while, but from what they've told us, they're doing them. Okay. And if they talk about it publicly that they said they are, it'll hold them accountable and they'll actually do it. Yeah. So uh, b before we get into too many details about like, I want to put a pin in it for basically the advocacy position that they are acting on, the surveys that they did conduct, and then also, I, we probably don't know a whole lot more information about those safety videos yet. Um, and then the other thing that you, I think that you had asked for in those meetings that I think is significant is that you're asking for transparency and accountability. And another thing that I want to kind of talk about also is in all of these things that they have responded with, like, for instance, the survey, when we go into detail with the survey, I think it's important that we touch on how they presented the surveys and all of the erasure that was involved and all the denial that was involved that meeting was march of 2017 okay. and the next 
big thing that happened was June of 2017, they released these safety surveys. Super fast, right? Like three months in developing. And after they, so they didn't tell me they released these surveys. I remember I was at the pool at my student housing and pulled up my phone and people had messaged me about it and I found it online. And I literally, that was what sent me into my first faith crisis because they released these safety surveys, which is awesome. Like so exciting that they were on it that fast, which proves they can do things fast. But the article, they literally said that nothing in particular triggered these, that like they're just being proactive and that, that nothing prompted the creation of these surveys. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, even now t- thinking about it, I'm like resisting swearing. <laughs> like, are you swear, kidding me? Uh, swear swear away, swear away on my show. <laughs> <laughs> so Camille and I, I mean, it was just devastating. I was like, okay, these people literally just lied mm-hmm. to save face for the media because Camille and I prompted these safety surveys. Like it was us pushing for them and asking for them. And then like retroactively, when I confronted them with that, they're like, oh, like we had been thinking about these like before and maybe like got started before, like super vaguely and evasively. And I'm like, um, no, because if you had in that meeting, you would have told us that that mm-hmm. was what you were starting on and working on. So BS, they had not started on them earlier. <laughs> like. And so then we went over what the content of the safety surveys was. Um, They brought us in for another meet. Like we asked to come in for another meeting to know what was on the safety surveys Um, because they couldn't, for some reason, like disclose the content of the surveys to anyone besides missionaries. Like, (laughs) but I know, right. I'm like literally thousands of missionaries have the content. Why can't I have the content? Okay. But like basically there were some, it was a, it was a good survey. There were some holes, big holes. Like they didn't ask about if your apartment had been broken into, which I think that they purposefully left out because that happens all the time to missionary apartments. And like, that's how Camille was raped is someone breaking into her apartment. Like they did not ask about if your apartment had been broken into. And they asked questions like, have you felt unsafe in your area every single day in the past two weeks or whatever? And it's like, well, what if you feel unsafe half the days? Like, so I do think it was very strategically worded. And I mean, it was created with Kurt and McConkie. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble if I say the lawyer's name. So I'm, maybe I did say it in my Mormon Stories podcast. I don't know. I'm going to leave it out. But the lawyer who's like over my case in Bolivia is on a sister, like sister safety committee. But he's a Kurt McConkie lawyer. Why do they have a Kurt McConkie lawyer on the sister safety committee? Like, are you kidding me? I don't know. It's just all very fishy. Uh-huh. Um, so that was the, so June 2017, the mission surveys came out. Awesome to know. Sent me spiraling in a faith crisis. And I thought like in August, they let us know like some of the data of the survey, but basically they're like, missions are even safer than we realized. And I'm like, you people are crazy. Like, it's not safer than you realize. They're like, our numbers for sexual assault and rape are way lower than the Peace Corps. And maybe that is true, but I, 
I mean, they wouldn't share data and it also might've been how the stuff was worded because Mm -hmm. it just can't possibly be true because of the sheer number of word of mouth stories of what people experience on their missions. Mm -hmm. Like, but anyway, so that was, I, I took a year long break after that from like June of 2017 until August of 2018. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess August of 2017 was the last phone call with the missionary department until August of 2018. So 17 to 18, I didn't do anything. Um, and it's, I put my faith crisis on my shelf. <laughs> I don't know how I did that the first time around, but I did. Like, I mean, it was severe, like, <laughs> but put it back on the shelf somehow. And I got, I started dating my husband and got married and just put it all on the back burner for about a year. Um, Camille had a baby in that time and put it on the back burner. Like we just have our lives to live. You know, we can't be like, this should not be our lives. Mm -hmm. So, but what changed? Okay. A couple things changed in March of 2018. I entered into like my second faith crisis because of Joseph Bishop and McKenna Denson. Mm-hmm. Just shout out to McKenna Denson. She's my she's my Shiro. <laughs> I think she's amazing. Um, yeah, that day I remember where I was. I was at Chubby's in Pleasant Grove, which is like a burger joint. And I read the news report uh, uh and I found the like Mormon leaks thing about Joseph Bishop raping women in the MTC and blah blah blah. Literally, it was that night, I told my husband, I was like, yeah, I think I'm an atheist. (laughs) Like, and I mean, I mean, I've had this whole journey since then, but that literally changed my entire life. That scandal, like my Mm -hmm. shelf broke, I couldn't ignore things anymore. It changed everything. So I spent this whole past summer, so the summer of 2018, like working through my faith crisis and devouring podcasts and reading and you guys know how it goes so Mm -hmm. that was like March of 2018 through August of 2018 just consumed by Mm -hmm. figuring out my faith and you know then working through making sure my husband's okay because I just had this huge faith crisis but what changed after that was I went to the Love Loud Festival Mm -hmm. in July of 2018 and then I watched the Believer documentary and it inspired me it mostly was the documentary like reading the backstory and i was just like oh my gosh this is a normal person who created this amazing like thing to advocate for lgbtq youth in utah like this dan reynolds is just a normal person um who got the ball rolling on this and that night I like went for a walk afterwards and I was like, I got to do something like I'm a normal person too. I can do something more for mission safety. Like, cause this is still insane and no one's doing anything about it. What can I do? And I just thought, and there's another thing that inspired me and it's called the taste of honey.org, mm-hmm. um, which is for victims of sexual assault and sexual abuse where they all like share their truths and there's resources. So, and that had really, impacted me I'm talking with my hands a lot sorry (laughs) in my video but um, 
So when I, after watching the Believer documentary in August of 2018, and as I was walking around thinking, what can I do? What can I do? The taste of honey.org came back to me and which had been so impactful for me and so healing in my journey from sexual assault. And I was like, I'm going to make a website where missionaries can share their stories. And so that's when Time for Combia was born. It was like the beginning of August, 2018. And I wasn't in school until the end of August. So for the next couple of weeks, I like worked feverishly uh, to create this website and called and came up with the name Time for Combio specifically because Combio means change in Spanish and Spanish is still dear to my heart. And so that's, that's how Time for Combio was born. Yay. <laughs> that's the story. That's beautiful. I'm really, I'm really inspired. Like I love that you were able to take so many different factors and triggers throughout your life and or like throughout such a short period of time and turn them into something that that can be beneficial to not only you but to others and as a victim of sexual assault myself i i really feel like when we can turn what happened to us into a positive by improving the lives of others it really really there's some deep healing there i mean for me at least like if i can if I can kind of change the script in my mind to be like, I'm in control. This is now a benefit. This is what I can do with, with the experience and no longer label it as negative and traumatic and kind of change it and change how I look at it. And, and so that's why I really believe in advocacy. And so that's, I, I see what you're doing and, and I, I kind of feel like, yes, yes, that's, that's what worked for me. And, and that's what I wish I could keep doing, but I just, I don't always have the, this the, the I don't know the endurance that you that, that's required when you're advocating from a place of, of personal trauma, so, so yeah, so we've gone all the way up to creating time for Combio. So do you want to talk about you want to introduce what time for Combio is and 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 what the platform does? Yeah. And also just want to say you're generous to me because seriously, I'm so burned out and I'm not currently putting very much time into time for combio at all. Like <laughs> I'll get into that, but yeah, I feel you. I, I'm really tired of this, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to keep going, like putting time into it and helping it grow. But so time for combio, basically I try to take a really faithful perspective on it even though that's not always how I would describe myself, but I'm trying to take that perspective because that's who needs it is mm -hmm. people going out on missions and return missionaries who are hurting. So basically missions are supposed to be the best two years and they're usually not. And that leaves people confused and hurting. It leaves them with trauma. It leaves them feeling alone and isolated like they cannot talk about what happened on their mission. They, people blame themselves because maybe they weren't righteous enough. And wh why was their mission so terrible when it's supposedly the best two years? Um, so time for Combio is for them. There's like a twofold purpose, I guess, where it's supposed to be like a cathartic space where people can be honest about what happened on their missions, share their, speak their truth, tell their story. Um, and be believed 
and it also is meant to be kind of educational for people going on missions and their loved ones or just the public at large because people should be aware of what happens on missions and educated about how to keep our missionaries safe and you know so there's that two purpose two purposes a cathartic space for people who've had bad mission experiences and educational for people going out and the public at large okay. so there's a letters page where I think there's only like 40 like 40 people have shared their story of what happened on their mission their stories so many people have reached out to me and told me their stories and said that they don't want it shared um, wow. or like their brother's story so they're like I don't think you can like share this, but this is what happened to my brother, you know? And there's stories of rape, being raped by a companion, um, being raped by their ward mission leader, being drugged by their ward mission leader. Um, people have told me stories about being kidnapped and drugged and left in a ditch. And, even, and then there's other things that are like being neglected by a mission president or living in housing that have too many mosquitoes nearby and and no mosquito netting and then they have scarring for the rest of their life from these mosquitoes and that could have been prevented by better housing um so tons of just horrible stories that make you cry reading them um and we also have a mission prep tab now we just changed this because I just I had a resources page at first and I was trying to put up resources that missionaries could use for people they meet like because on my mission I met battered women and people who had drug addictions and people who didn't have enough food and I I wish that I had been prepared to give them like community resources rather than be like pray and God will help you because that never happened like they never had enough food it net like it literally never happened um but the resources page when i was looking through i i mean like my site's statistics like no one was clicking on it no one was spending any time on it so i was like this isn't really working so then i came up with some mission preparation stuff because i was like okay if the church is not doing mission prep on their own like if they're not adding safety training in the MTC or discussions, like I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to put out there what I think people need to know. So we made some mission prep materials. Um, the categories are like healthy versus abusive companions and leaders. So missionaries can, the, the idea is to have everyone who knows about this print it off and give it to the missionaries around them or people going on a mission can print it out and bring it with them or access it on their mission, I guess. But the idea is that people have these resources on their mission so they can read through it and not feel crazy. Cause so there's stuff about healthy versus abusive companions and leaders, um, a document about responding to an assault or a traumatic event. This is for leadership as well. How can we better respond to people once that happens? There's some training and discussion about, adequate housing sorry i'm like looking on my laptop because i have the categories right in front of me and then safe self-advocacy i think that needs to be addressed so i made something about that and when someone you meet needs help 
So those are the categories of mission prep that we've made. I like how you have prepared. You, you're watching the statistics. The resources weren't being used. You had to regroup. And then, like, I was thinking, oh, you could do, like, a video. Like, you could do YouTube videos. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait, we need to make something that's accessible to missionaries while they're on their mission. And they're their uh, media and online and electronic restrictions on their mission are so imperative to, or like they impede any sort of accessing them with materials. And so I like how you also mentioned that this is a resource that members or listeners of this podcast or anybody can print off and hand to missionaries so that they have it physically. Now, do you happen to know, is your website accessible to missionaries or is it like locked out do you have any idea oh my gosh like if the church has put that on like a okay okay sorry that i i just thought maybe the church has like blocked that on their web on their like wi-fi like they have other things i actually haven't checked that i hadn't even thought of it but (laughs) i know that most missionaries i don't know some missionaries get on church wi-fi but like i was in the internet cafe all the time so the church had no say over what websites i accessed Mm -hmm. but what there is is the church saying in the white handbook and elsewhere only do email you're not allowed to use google like you can't Mm -hmm. even google like i have a weird rash what's like what is this like nope off limits you're not supposed to use it you're supposed to just use email and I, I don't know, I wasn't a Facebook missionary, so maybe there's other rules for those missions. But yeah. so I specifically put on the documents that have like this training and conversations, print this out, bring it with you. And I put, this is completely okay to look up during P-Day. Like, I don't remember exactly what I put, but I basically said like, if you need to look something up for your own well-being, do it. That's not disobedient. Like, if you're sick, go look something up online. Like, look up your symptoms. Like, mm-hmm. to, if one's helping you, if your mission president's like, suck it up, you're not going to the doctor. Like, and I, or if you have a bug infestation, look it up online. See what you can do to treat this bug infestation. I feel like we're literally taking away resources from adults this is why like missionaries suffer in silence and it's because they have one channel to help their mission president and like that is not how the real world works like this is like infantizing these people these missionaries like Mm -hmm. you should be able to look up information on the internet to help yourself but they're not allowed to so i specifically put like this is fine to look up. You're not disobedient. If you're looking up information about is my companion abusive or how can I treat this cockroach infestation? Like do it. You're okay. God's not going to smite you. You're not going to have less success. Like it's okay. Yeah. I get a little fired up about that. It makes me so mad. <laughs> but it, it's such an issue. Like the, the culture of the mission, I didn't, I admittedly didn't serve a mission, but from, you know, what I've heard listening to your stories and so many others and just being a Mormon, like there's such a culture of like self-policing and, you know, don't even look, don't look once, like blah, blah, blah. Like, and, and then like prosperity gospel, where if you, if you follow 
the absolute letter of the law and and go above and beyond following the rules then you will be blessed and and so it's like self-police yourself to be even more cut off and then god will bless you which like i don't believe in god really either but that's one of my pet peeves is i'm like really because why would why would god that created his children create these solutions and then not let them look at them like what kind of god what kind of parent does that (laughs) i agree 100 percent. and yeah i totally agree (laughs) so i put that in these resources to be like just go look use the internet because it was at least my experience my mission president was so negligent like I came to him because like various times throughout my mission like my trainer was having people in our apartment that shouldn't have been in our apartment and like going in the back room and getting a back massage like <laughs> and it was a little sketchy <laughs> and I literally my zone leader called and I, I was like why don't you call and let us know you're in the house and I was like oh sorry I'm in training this is going on I didn't even realize I was supposed to call you and he literally said, like, said to me, I'm on a seacot. You just need to suck it up and figure out why you're on the mission. Like, basically, like, don't complain. Don't bring problems to me. Solve it yourself. And, like, figure out why you're on your mission. Are you here to serve or are you here to complain? And it's like, yeah. it doesn't have to be this false dichotomy. We can ask for help and serve. Like, you can do both. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't peg, that shouldn't peg you as a complainer for being like, there's a problem that I need help with. Mm -hmm. But at least my mission had this huge culture of, if you need help, you're a complainer, you're not as faithful, you're a baby, like, don't do this. So I, and I've heard from so many other people that they had that same mission culture. And I've heard from other people that they didn't, that their mission president was super responsive, but Mm -hmm. it's just, it's leadership Mm roulette. And if your president and leadership is not responsive, you need to have other ways to access help, including the internet reach out to your family. So it's just, it's not, it's not fair to missionaries who have the crappy mission leadership to not be allowed to use the internet to, to find solutions or call their family ever. Like, Mm -hmm. how are we expecting people to find their own solutions when they have no, when their access to information and their access to resources is cut off? Like, Mm -hmm. of course they're going to have, because real grownups have information and resources available to them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if I have an exact train of thought right now, but <laughs> I complain about this and be angry about this all day. <laughs> all right. So we have done the creation of the website, kind of the purpose of it to share stories to you have a training tab. Is there anything else about the website or is it pretty much stories and training for now? Yeah, it's that. Then okay. there's like a speak up tab where you can just like, that's where you can submit a story. Yeah, that's, that's basically it. Great. And so what Um, kind of response have you gotten so far? How are the statistics for visiting and for the the training tabs and things like that? So most of the response has been positive. Like after my interview with John Lynn and the Tribune article and launching it, like people reached out and were really supportive. Like literally no one said anything has said anything negative to me about my interview with John Lynn or the Tribune article like nothing 
I'm sure there are people who don't agree with it, but they've kept it to themselves, which is actually shocking. <laughs> um, so the support and reaction has been really positive to Time for Combio. And <clears throat> there's like one jerk who like submitted some spam. It was like basically like sexually harassing us through his submission. But besides that, <sighs> everything's been really positive. Um, I published the like mission prep on like January 2nd or 3rd I think and okay. I literally have not gone back in and even looked at how many people have looked at them if that shows you I'm a little burned out <laughs> my friend even like messaged me he's like there's some typos like here's where like these are like the five typos I noticed I haven't even fixed them like <laughs> I, I'm like this was like a Herculean effort to like get these even written and up and then I'm like okay I'm taking a break I'm done for a, a while yeah. but I think like the total views of my site are at like 25,000 which is pretty good I feel happy mm -hmm. about that um I know that there's I mean I there's a lot I could do to help it grow and I have a game plan there's actually this super nice couple who reached out to me over social media and was like, they're like active Mormons. I think they're progressive though. Um, and they're like, Hey, we found your website. We think it's amazing. Her, like the husband does like social media management and she's like, uh, a writer for like a technical writer. <laughs> I should know this. Oops. <laughs> but they were like, we have a bunch of ideas for how you could make time for comedy grow. And we met up and they gave me this list of ideas and I've implemented a couple of them, but not really, all, not all of them yet because I'm tired. <laughs> I have school, <laughs> but I do, I need to reach out to like Instagrammers and see if they can like uh, highlight time for Combio and, you know, try to help it grow in various ways because it really has tapered off. Like there were tons of submissions at the beginning and they really have slowed down. I don't okay. even think we've had a submission in three weeks. So it's kind of dying. And I recognize like if I don't change something, it's gonna die. Yeah. So I, I do have my cut out for me for <clears throat> like advertisement and getting it out there more. And I I have some plans. <laughs> I just haven't been working a ton lately. Mm -hmm. But yeah, hugely positive response. And but it's been slowly just kind of tapering off is where it's at right now. Okay. And um, what can we do as listeners and as supporters of you, what can we do to best support Time for Combio, what you're doing? Are you collecting funds at all at this point yet? Or how, what can we do? Um, I am not collecting funds. I, I did pay for like the online infrastructure. I've probably put like, $200 into time for combio but I don't <laughs> I'm not like confident yet in my ability to make merchandise and like sell it because <laughs> so I was thinking I could make like t-shirts but yeah maybe later <laughs> totally so I don't have like Patreon. but what you can do to help is first off like literally print off these mission prep resources and give them to missionaries like if your name is still on church records, even if you hate missionaries and hate your ward, 
like get on LDS tools, look up the missionary's phone number in your area and go drop it off at their apartment. Like go give these resources to the missionaries because I can guarantee you like they need it. Yeah. <laughs> they might be living in or have an abuse, even if they're in the United States and aren't living in a dump, like they might have an abusive companion. So they like, you never know. They will need this. So go print it off and give it to missionaries. Or if you have a family member or a friend serving, email it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say, get the word, like share the, the mission prep resources, share time for Combio on your personal page if you feel comfortable. Um, the other thing I would say is if you're talking to someone who then tells you a mission story of something traumatic that happened to them, or you see it on a comment in a, a group on Facebook, like ask that person, can I share this on time for Combio? And if you have their consent and permission, you can submit their story. Cause I think that a lot of people just don't really care to take the time to like type up their story and submit it. But if you do, and you have their consent, like you personally could submit that story. Cause I think that the more stories we have, it's powerful. Like it's the more stories we have, the more proof we have that it's not just a handful of whiners who couldn't hack it, who are making this site and whining about it. It's like a widespread issue. It's happening to diverse people, many people on missions, not just like, whiny babies but like people who were doing their absolute best and were good missionaries and still had these crazy things happen Mm -hmm. um so submit other people's stories if you have their permission and um get these resources of the mission prep stuff to the missionaries in your life that's what i would say are the biggest ways you could help great and i'm trying to think like people who are in the lives of current missionaries like if you can get access to communities, maybe on Facebook or online, maybe, or if you're a member of those communities that are more college age, more missionary age, if you can kind of get the word out in those communities and encourage those people to send it to their friends on missions, I think that's a good in, a good way to get into that community. Um, or like you said, if you have friends and family members on a mission, send it to them. I'm wondering, like, if the link doesn't work, we could even just copy and paste and throw it in the emails that we, you know, engage in back and forth with the missionaries. And that would be a good way to get it to them. Each of the categories under the mission prep tab has a link to a printable PDF. It's literally a PDF. So you attach these PDFs to your emails and they'll just open this PDF and it looks like a word document, you know? Mm -hmm. So doable to send out to people and I love those ideas those are great ideas yeah um and the LDS tools is a good idea these mission prep like principles or whatever categories like the underlying things in all of them that if someone in your life is not willing necessarily to read this whole word document about it something you could just talk to them about before they go out on a mission or if they're on a mission is first off if you're if you have a problem and your mission leadership is not responsive, go get help elsewhere. Call home. Like the, the, the rules are null and void if you are at risk and no one's helping you. Like at that point, everything's changed. Like go call your parents or your bishop or your stake president and have them advocate for you. 
Like mm -hmm. if you are stuck with an abusive companion and your president says, well, you're going to be with them until you can figure it out. Like that's so damaging. Go call someone. Like, mm -hmm. Go around the, the leadership because that is like, and if you're trying to appeal to someone who's a, a very active believing Mormon, you can use the scripture of like, that's unrighteous dominion. And so that just changes everything. If someone's like on being unrighteous in their leadership, go get help. So my things would just be go get help elsewhere, get someone to advocate for you. If the leadership isn't listening to you. Um, also things like you can take a day off to like clean your apartment or do like, a, or fumigate your apartment. If you have bugs in your apartment, like just, the hard and fast rules can be bent like for your well-being like your well-being is so much more important than this arbitrary rule about you have to work from this hour to this hour like mm -hmm. give yourself a few hours and do what you need to do like i guess just the message is like try to whoever you're talking to put the power back in their hands because missionaries are very powerless and feel very powerless because their whole lives are like dictated by obedience like this huge focus on obedience and following the rules and it really does like take away power from them and just do whatever you can to empower them and put the power back in their hands maybe make them think about what they could do instead of just being like well my mission president wouldn't help me and I, I guess I'll just have to suffer and like just like stick it out like you don't have to stick it out there are so many options you could go home like there are options you don't have to stick it out and I would just like talk to anyone who's going on a mission about you have options you have power you don't have to suffer needlessly you don't have to stick it out you, mm -hmm. you have so many options yeah so um I wanted to I, I just remembered um, they had announced some changes to the, the, the mission types that I talked about this a little bit, a, a few, a few, um, like maybe a month or so ago on Mormon, Mormon happy hour where they changed the mission types, but it had a lot to do with, um, mental health and medical restrictions and, and it, although the changes are good, the way they have presented it is that a um, an amended um, mission call, I forget even the terminology that they called it, but like a service mission was a, it was a, a consolation prize. It was the step down. It was like, if you're not, you know, first class, then, then you get, you get the secondary, like a mint, like. The, the handicapped version of a of a mission or whatever like well these people have issues so they're going to go on this mission like did you catch all that those changes and what what are your thoughts on those um to me it felt like a non-change like they already kind of had this in place um maybe they just have more service missions available but like they already had that in place it, it feels like a complete non-change to me i don't know why there's so much buzz about it like they're all, people are only going to be going on a service mission if for some reason they can't do a regular proselyting mission. I don't know. It feels like a non-change, but I will say I suspect in the future there's going to be more steps towards having service missions instead of proselyting missions because 
I was, I think people from younger generations are a little embarrassed to go proselyte about this church that has a super harsh and homophobic stance towards LGBTQ people. Like Mm -hmm. it's embarrassing to go do missionary work because of the like sketchy stuff that happens. Um, So I suspect in the future, there's going to be more, more changes towards having more service missions and fewer proselyting missions. And maybe they're just like setting the foundation for that. But as of right now, I don't feel like it changes anything except for maybe they get some more free labor right by these service missions now you know yeah that's an interesting reflection that you have since i think you and i are from different generations but you have a little bit more insight into the younger generation being aware and and self-conscious of the the problematic stances that that the church has and and how that's going to affect missionary work and the numbers of missions your mission you know people going on missions i think that's some really fascinating insight. I've never really had that conversation with anyone before. So Maddie, you, we put, we kind of put a pin in the advocacy position, which is something that you had asked the church for at the very beginning. And now they are, they have finally created the position. They posted it and they have hired someone. So what can you tell me about what you know about the, the church, the missionary advocacy position that the church has created? Um, that's good to know that they hired someone. I didn't actually know that yet. <laughs> I saw that the position, it says the position, cause I, I went back, I followed the link back to the posting once and it said this position has been filled. So I'm assuming that's what that means. <laughs> awesome. Okay. All I know about it is that it, I will give credit to Camille. Camille was the one who was like, we need a mission advocate position at those like beginning days where we were first advocating ourselves. I didn't even really know what an advocate was. I hadn't like stepped into the realm of like women's resources. And, but anyway, so it was Camille who was asking for it at the beginning. And can I just say Camille got home from her mission after being raped four years ago. And she started asking for it relatively soon after getting home. And they published the like job posting or I let her know about it four years to the day of the day she got home so it took four years after that for them to make that position I think it's interesting that only like five months ago we went on a Mormon Stories podcast and had a Salt Lake Tribune article and launched time for Combio and after that it only took five months to make this position like coincidence I think not (laughs) like it's just shocking to me how much Uh, media attention and like public pressure will move things so much faster than someone standing in front of them asking for it. But what I know the mission advocate position, I think what they're doing with it is that person will then have a team working with them and they'll develop preparation materials for the MTC and for in missions and then also get survivors from traumatic events on missions the therapy and stuff that they need so I think that from what I understand from reading the job description it's doing like aftercare for people who had bad things happen on their mission but also trying to do preventative work making trainings uh for mission presidents and missions alike missionaries alike so that's wonderful I'm so glad they're doing it I I think that will change things for the better. 
it's a little sketchy that like it has to be a member of the church who does it because I'm just worried that they will limit that person's authority and power or like veto their ideas, you know? Um, But I still think it's wonderful that they've created it. I think it's a direct result of Camille and I doing everything in August, particularly. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to see what changes are made because of it. I think it's a huge step in the right direction. Yeah. Do you know if this advocate position, I didn't fully read the description myself, but are they going to be able to have direct communication with current missionaries who are experiencing difficulty and advocate on their behalf in the moment? Good question. I don't know. I hope so. Because even such stupid stuff, like when right after my assault, like I was in like an information vacuum for like 48 hours. And then after 48 hours, I was like, I want to go home. And they're like, I wish you wouldn't, but let me go home. But then like afterwards, they're like, you could have stayed and done therapy. And like, I'm like, no one told me that. And I didn't know that I had the option to have therapy. If I stayed, I didn't even know I could have therapy when I got home. It was like my state president who told me, Oh, you have six sessions, which is like not enough, but that's another thing we asked for is for survivors of sexual assault or other traumatic things on missions to have more than six sessions paid for. But um, I digress. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Really in the moment, I totally needed an advocate because my mission leadership was like woefully stupid. (laughs) So I really hope that they'll be there like directing mission presidents in the moment and their wives. But I don't know. I hope so. I don't know. (laughs) So do you have any closing thoughts or anything that you want to say to, to wrap up this kind of special informational sharing and tribute to all of that time for Combio is? Yeah. Um, I guess one other piece of my personal story is that in October of 2018, so just a few months ago, I went back to Bolivia and testified against like my perpetrator. He is actually still on the run has not been apprehended. They think he's in Argentina, but they have basically everything set up. So when they do apprehend him, he's, he'll be convicted and put in jail. And I think that, um, so good on the church for paying for that. They paid for that. And that it was like, it's so funny. I almost felt guilty. It was like an $8,000 trip because me and my husband went and we were down there for two weeks because of the spacing between like trial days, but the church paid for it. So good for them. And I almost felt guilty. And then I was like, nah, I almost died. And they really didn't care. So whatever, 8,000, <laughs> like they'll survive. Um, it's just interesting to me that the most progressive like area of the church's response to my assault was in legal, in the legal arena. Mm-hmm. Like they've been so slow, so in other areas, like in regards to safety or, or getting me therapy, I mean, they have it, like I've done that on my own, but like they're so slow in other areas and so inadequate in all these other areas. The one area where they were relatively prompt and like had enough funding was their legal department, Kurt and McConkie. So yeah, that's, I think, I mean, I think that says everything <laughs> about 
intentions and like plans moving forward. Um, and also I would just say if, if something did happen on your mission, like prosecute it, ask the church to pay for it and prosecute it. Like if someone assaulted you, like if you can, I mean, that's up to everyone, but I feel like it still made a difference because this, the man that assaulted us lived with his teenage cousins and they were terrified of him. And now he's still on the run and they don't have to live with him. And it sets a precedence for like his buddies that like, if you do something to the missionaries, there will be legal consequences. And so I, I think it does make a difference, even if I don't know if he will ever be apprehended. I don't know if he will ever do jail time, but just doing the process of prosecuting him paid for by the church, like has made a difference. So I'd say, even if you don't think you're going to win, even if you don't think they'll be jailed, like it, there's still, uh, there's still a good reason to do it. If that's right for you. I understand like my companion did not come back and testify just for her own well being. Like she didn't want to go back and do that. She just wanted to move on with her life. I respect mm -hmm. that. It's not for everyone, mm -hmm. but if you can, I think it's a good thing. And that was like kind of a closing piece in this journey. Wow. Yeah. That's quite the opportunity and experience to go back and be there and kind of relive it all again in the environment where it happened. That's tough. It was crazy. <laughs> so you were talking about like they're making changes and the area that they seem to be making changes the, mo the, the quickest or at all is in the legal field. And it just, like you said, it's very indicative of what we're dealing with. And I just, it feels so much like a corporation that, and I, and I get so conflicted because like, I like to recognize when the church is doing something they should, because I think that it's important to uh, encourage change by recognizing when they take steps. I think that's important because that's human nature that we, that people need to be recognized for moving in the right direction. Even if they're not there already, I think if all we do is fl fling shit at them, basically, then they're going to be a little bit more, you know, resistant to, to change. So, but I'm so conflicted in my own feelings because I'm like, are they making changes because they genuinely want what's best? Because I have a really hard time believing that because of the stories like your story and so many other stories where they just don't give a shit what, when it comes right down to the immediate person in front of them, they don't do what's right. And by they, I often mean people, um, in like mission president level and higher positions that you know aren't they're just, they're failing to make the right choice the right the the, the humane choice the humane decision to, to to provide protection and care and support when someone needs it so like are they are they making changes because it's what's right or are they making changes because they're a corporation and they um are protecting their own assets emphasis on ass like 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 what i don't know what are your feelings what do you think the i will say there has been no revelation in any of this it's obvious yes. there i mean everyone can believe what they want and have their own religious beliefs. 
it is so clear to me there was no revelation in any step of this process there was like because if there was it would have happened sooner and like it was just so clear to me there was no revelation i mean that's what really that that is what sent me into my first faith crisis was where is the revelation in this i no longer trust that these people are speaking with god and i mean i've had this whole journey since then blah 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 i'm at byu i gotta be careful with what i say but yeah there was no revelation in this it was lawyers they have lawyers on their like safety committees and like and david wade i uh, i believe he's a lawyer i would need to check on that but um yeah, they just have a bunch of lawyers running this crap, and like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be my answer. There, there was clearly no revelation. It was taking people's ideas, not giving any credit, treating them like they're insane for bringing it up, and then doing it anyways, and acting like it was their great idea when it was like other people asking for it from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Maddie, for coming on, for sharing the backstory and what Time for Combio is and what we can do to support you and and make a difference in the lives of current missionaries. Um, I, I'm going to throw in the show notes, um, a link to your Mormon Stories interview if people want to hear more, more details and more information about what you, both you and Camille went through. Um, it's long and definitely some trigger warnings on that as well, but I think it's really important for people to know the truth and for you to be able to be heard and be validated for, you know, what you have experienced as well. Um, so I'll throw those in the show notes, obviously a link to time for combio. I think I'm going to link those PDFs specifically. So they're really easy for people to find and distribute to you know, ideally to current missionaries or anybody who's in contact with current missionaries. And just thank you for, for doing all that you're doing and keep it up. And and if you ever need anything, like, please reach out to, to me or just in general and, and ask for help because I know that there are so many people that will support what you're doing and who need what you are doing. It's so important. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having this awesome platform and bringing some humor to all of this (laughs) shit. (laughs) Seriously, we need to laugh more and maybe drink more wine because (laughs) there's so much crap. So thank you for having me. I'm glad to share more of this story. We'll we'll connect more. This isn't the end. We will definitely get together more. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you. You have a wonderful day. You too. Bye. And that wraps up today's topics. We are so glad you stopped by. Be sure to join the Mormon Happy Hour on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you smiled, please drop us a five-star review wherever you found us. See you next week. Cheers.